making this yeshiva what it is. It's appreciated. And without further ado, let's hear the retire from Rashi. Ninth year here in Yeshiva. In a certain sense, my real journey into Yeshiva began about a year and a half ago. Nine years ago, I decided to come to Yeshiva here. I had the opportunity to come here. And it was clearly, for me at least, it was a Shidduch, this Mahalach. I had the opportunity to teach in a more, I guess you can call a mainstream type Chinuch beforehand. I mean, it was a wonderful place and I enjoyed it very much. But it was very, very clear that the Mahalach here was, was me. My wife even jokes that when we were thinking, we had the world was open before us. We didn't care about living out of town, in town, so we could have tried anywhere. And uh, my wife always jokes that I wouldn't send a resume anywhere. If I, when I had the opportunity to come here, I, I was just, I felt connected. But in a certain sense, my real journey, our real journey, my wife and I, began a year and a half ago because the Mahalach, I felt, was something that I held a very much as a Rebbe. But about a year and a half ago, I got to, I had to rely and depend on the Mahalach as a parent. A year and a half ago, I started the journey of my own children being um, Waterbury boys. And I learned so much from, in this year and a half, I'm a different, sure a different parent, but a different Rebbe as well. It was a truly, it's been a truly, truly humbling experience for me and my wife. And a completely different experience. Um, you would think, you might think, it, it's, it, and I hear the guys speak about how a Waterbury, the Waterbury Rebbeim, they, they really get chinuch. And it's incredible and humbling how <coughs> different it is when it's your own child. I was, I, was telling, I was telling some guys the other day, I was saying you have no idea as a parent what it means to... I could hear anything come out of a Talmud's mouth. Cursing, inappropriate things, and I could just look, and I'm ah, a non-judgmental Waterbury Rebbe, and just, yeah, it's okay, no yarmulke, colored hair, Totally non-judgmental Waterbury Rebbe. Suddenly it starts to happen with your own children. And all of a sudden it's a completely different world. And I, I, I'm being made today, I'm, I, I promise you, if with, with your own child, anything that I went through this at, at the beginning of my journey, it was like a dagger to the heart. I promise, I couldn't, it was any curse word, any inappropriate thing was like a dagger to my heart. Really, I'm, I'm admitting in front of everyone. And... It was, uh, it, a lot of emotions came along with it, many emotions. And I learned many, many, many things. And I'm a different Rebbe because of it. And one of the aspects that I really grew from is the realization of the difference between a Rebbe and a parent. This concept that I look around the room here and I, 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 and I feel that it's all one team. We're all here on one team together. In a sense, we're all one family together. We're all, we all have the same mission. But what I realize is that a parent, a Rebbe cannot take a parent's place. And Rebbe Kielsch always speaks about this. 
But now I realize how true it is. A parent has a certain place in a child's heart. And a Rebbe has a very, very powerful effect on the child, but it's not the same as the parent. <coughs> and one thing I realize is that a Rebbe is coming in the middle of the story. And one of the reasons I realize why a Rebbe is able to handle that is not necessarily the Mila. A Rebbe can sometimes see with my first year teaching. I feel this is one of these convers. This is this is one of these conversations. I feel so foolish now. My first year teaching. So I was close with a certain bacher, and I'm speaking to the parents, and they're like, "Yeah, he's had real anger issues in his other yeshivas, real anger issues." And I said, on my high horse, "I don't even see it. I don't even see anger. Anger? Who?" Show me the Manahel. In my first year in Waterbury, I'd, show me the Manahel, show me the Rebbe. This boy is so precious, he's so sweet. And I'm not saying I didn't mean it, I meant it. And is it true that in those moments I had the Ayin Tov and they didn't? Could be. But it's not because of my Mila. I'm not saying I don't, this is not like, you know, I'm not bashing myself here. I know my Mila, I'm not bashing myself, that's not what I mean. But it's not because of that, it's because I'm coming in in the middle of the story. Am I the one that was mispalo under my chuppah that this child should be a ben Torah? No, that wasn't me. That was the parent. Am I the one that was with this child, davening for him, raising him his whole life? That was not me. Do I care about him? Of course. We grow a connection. We care about our talmidim, of course. And after a while, we do care about him very much. We can even get disappointed and, and, and yell and get angry at a Talmud when we get close enough with him, of course. But it's very, very different. As a mushal. Is a funny mashal, it's a cute mashal. I'm admitting this now, I don't know if my wife knows this, but I'm admitting this now, that we, we had, as part of our journey, we also had fears about sending our children to the Masifta. My child, it was also a different story, he was very, very young at the time. And it wasn't a shidduch where he was, the yeshiva he was in, elementary school he was in. And we had a very, it was a very difficult time for us. We were checking out a different place in a different city, five hours away. And he couldn't, he was seventh grade, he couldn't exactly stay in the dorm over there. So what happened was my wife, the two little ones, and, and he went off to go basically live there at a woman's house, at a stranger's house. I mean, a very wonderful woman, but she was a stranger at the time, basically living there while I was here teaching. And I would go back on the weekend, Shabbos, I would go back and forth, five hour trip. It was a very, very difficult time for us and one small thing funny thing that would happen is at a certain point the two younger ones were not in school at all I mean they were living they were all the way they were there in, in a strange place and my wife was there 24 7 with the young ones with the two little ones by herself at the stranger's house okay I would come in after the weekend after after the week rather I would come in coming Thursday night, and understandably so, is uh, my wife was with the kids for 24-7 throughout the week. And um, my wife was with the kids 24-7 <laughs> all week. And I would come, I would come there, I'd be seeing my kids for the first time, the little ones, and my, my Eitan also. And, you know, my daughter was like, ah, my princess, there's nothing she could do wrong. And she'd be whining and cranky, and I was just like, ah, so I remember at one point, my wife said, just take her, just take her. And I almost said, 
How could you see any wrong? She's so charming. Look at the chain. Look at the chain. She's so cute. She could do nothing wrong, which is what I was feeling at the time. I held back. Hashem. My wife only knows about this right now. I held back. I didn't say those words. Because I realized, you fool. You fool. She was with him all week. You're on your high horse. Like... I have the eye and toe. She's so, how can you not look at all her mylas? Who cares if she's cranky? She's so precious. Fool. She was with him all week. You're just coming in in the middle of the story. And I realize it's the same thing. Parents are the ones who are mispalo for this child every single day, every Shabbos by the nearest. You were not. We were not. We have a very prominent part in the child's life. And I'm not taking that away from us as Rebbeim. But it's just something that I realized, it humbled me, as our team that I'm looking at over here, is that a Rebbe has a place, a parent has a place. And they can't take each other's place. And they each have a prominent place, but it's very, very different. That was one of the things I noticed in my own personal journey. Baruch Hashem, I, I must say, just, we're still in this journey. But I know now 100% that my children have been growing in a way that I don't think they could have grown anywhere else, anywhere else in the world. I look at my sons and I say, everything that they have, everything that they're accomplishing now is theirs, is 100% theirs. That's not something that everyone could say. Can we say that about ourselves? Or are we doing it because we were trained, we were threatened, and that's why we're doing it? Is what we do ours, or is it somebody else's who forced it upon us? It's a question we have to ask ourselves as well. And I feel like now that my, my own children are part, part of this, and yeah, there was a lot of fear that went into a lot of fear. But I know that what the way they're growing out, it's theirs. They are not getting pressure in that way. They are getting pressured, but not in that way. The pressure they're getting is a good, healthy pressure from a Rebbe who knows them well. Someone was out speaking to one of the parents who was here over Shabbos. And he was here, he was watching the Su'uda, he was watching whatever, he was very, it seemed like he was inspired. And he was asking me questions. He started asking me questions about the yeshiva. So are there, are there rules? What goes on? What's the mahalach? You know, the, 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 the questions I've been asked many, many times. All the rabbi I've been asked many, many times. And one of the things he was asking me, he was said the word no expectation, no um, expectations. I think that was the word, which is also a thing I've heard many times. He said, well, if there's no expectations, and any time a kid grew, and I, and I cut him off, there's tons of expectations. We have tons of expectations. No punishments. No punishments. Maybe that's what you mean. We expect a lot from our Talmudim. I told him, I just spoke to, I said, I just spoke to Talmud five minutes ago. I walked outside. I said, I didn't see him all week. I said, this week would be a good week. He said, yeah, Rebbe. I said, that conversation, because we're starting to grow very close, because we have a trust, those words go a long way, a lot further than absence and marks and failings. A lot further. Because he knows I'm not just saying it in that way. He knows I'm saying it because I know him and I think, I think according to him, he should be coming more. According to him, not according to the system, not according to any system. So yeah, it's a pressure. It's different. It's much, much different. Roshach's <clears throat> Yurtzeit was last week. One of my favorite Chinuch lines is from Rav Shach. They see over from Rav Shach. There was a father and a child who came to visit Rav Shach. And Rav Shach Kedarko 
took out a bag of candy for the child to choose from. The child chose candy. One piece of candy. It happened to be candy that was wrapped in a red wrapper. So the father told the child, as chinuch, as being yeshivish, as teshofer of shach, I don't know. He said, red is Asaf. You shouldn't choose red. Red is Asaf. So Rav Shach told him, he said, no, 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 no. He said, children like red things. Esav remained a child his whole life. Esav never grew up. That was Esav's problem. Children like red. There's nothing wrong with it because he's a child. Such a deep, powerful line. And what I get from it is that something can be objectively wrong and still okay for the stage the person is at. That sounds like a stira. Objectively wrong, but for right now, it's not. If it's objectively, objectively wrong, it's objectively wrong. No. Something be objectively. Chazal, Torah, Psukim. And yet, for right now, for this child, it's okay completely okay because children like red. There's a very, very dangerous term in the systems everywhere. The term, and I understand where it's coming from, and I understand you're going to say, but what do you mean? You need this. And I, and I completely believe me, I understand why you need it, but understand the danger in it. The term is age appropriate. From the time a child is a baby. There are things which are deemed age-appropriate and not age-appropriate. He should be crawling, he should be walking, he should be speaking at this age. And what the term age-appropriate means is basically, since everyone else at this age is doing it, so should he be. And that's a very, very, very dangerous thing. Because it could be he shouldn't be. It could be he shouldn't be. It's taking the child, taking his growth from the outside in instead of the inside. It's not starting. The starting point is not him. The starting point is everyone else. And I'm not saying it's always wrong, but it's dangerous. It's dangerous. You're treading on thin ice over there. I believe, you know, there's a line, there's a a quote. I said my own quote. It's disappointment is rooted in self-made expectation. Disappointment is rooted in self-made expectation. I shared it with Tommy the one day, we argued about it. It's, I never tell him it's mine at first. First I say like, it's like uh, you know, Ben Franklin or uh, some famous rapper, and then they're like, oh. I'm like, well actually it's mine. They're like, oh, well we never really agreed to begin with. And I sent it to my family, and my sister, bless her soul, put it on the mother's chat. <laughs> And the mothers were upset about this line. And they said, I say the mothers, like it's like one, like. (laughs) There were mothers who were upset about this line. And they had some very good thoughts. They said, what do you mean, self-made expectations? They're expectations from society. They're expectations from the Torah. It's not true it's self-made. They're expectations given to us by others. That are real, that are real, not fake expectations. But again, I believe very strongly that there is a place 
for Torah, Halacha, society, all those expectations are very important. And I believe all children, when a parent is raising his child, there's an age of Chinuch. We teach them how to be appropriate. We teach them how to be appropriate in Halacha, from Halacha, to small things like putting your elbows on the table, anything. There are things that society deem okay and not okay. And that's okay. And that's okay to point that out and to train our children as such. But what we have to be careful is when there's pushback. Because it's very possible, and in certain cases probable, that it's not for him right now. And when there's pushback, we have to realize, when there's, when there's pushback from a child, we all know parenting 101, we don't give them to a tantrum. When it's a tantrum, the same one day after day after day after day, then we have to think twice. Meaning, yes, there are expectations, but it's self-made because we decide when those expectations apply to our children. It's about what stage they're in, not what age they are. It's about being stage-appropriate, not age-appropriate. We have to look at the stage the child is in and then decide. Yeah, Whoever sorry. needs mincha, I apologize. Whoever needs mincha, shkias in a few minutes. There'll be a mincha that's starting right now next door. You should run to the minion. We'll continue. We'll try to catch you in on what you missed. Yeah. <laughs> or if you really wanted to leave, but you were embarrassed to walk out, you could also do it. I said, well, well, if you really wanted to leave, you were embarrassed to walk out. You could like the pose Ray Malchama. No, no, no. Love you, by the way. Don't feel bad. Oh, thank you so much. He's gonna come back. <laughs> so that's why that's why I think that age appropriate is a dangerous term. Stage appropriate, you can never fail. You can never fail because you look at the stage the child, the teenager is in, and you have to decide. When we hear the story from Rav Shach, it's a very nice story, but when do we say my child should grow up? When do we say he shouldn't like red anymore? At what point does he turn into, uh-oh, he could be like an Esav? And which point do we say, no, he's just a child? And the answer is, there is no answer. There's no one answer to that. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. It's a bit of a, a, bit of a touchy subject, but... When I, was in, when I was teaching 10th grade, so when I would speak to the parents, it would be about, what are you in for? What's the process over here? What, are we, what do you hope to gain? Now, I'll be honest. If I say that we hope to gain this and this, and by the time he's in 11th grade this and 12th grade this, I had nothing to lose. Because if in 12th grade it didn't happen, so I was, I was a 10th grade rabbi. It had nothing to do with me. I did my thing in 10th grade. When I started teaching 12th grade, it was a different story. When I started teaching 12th grade, I was answering a painful question. The question that I was getting was, all right, he's 12th grade. He's still not wearing a yarmulke, still not putting on sitta, still not putting on tefillin. Now what? He's in 12th grade. What happened to the process? And it's a painful question. 
And now that I'm a parent, I could empathize. And I'm, 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 I'm able to empathize with the parents. I'm able to understand where they're coming from. And there's no logic, there's no psychology which can, which can answer the question of a parent's heart. That the, the, the bottom line, it's painful. And I tell the guys this all the time, by the way. I tell the guys this, and they all on the cobble this. I say, you have to understand that you, you have your own journey. But don't blame your parents that when they were diving under the chuppah, they diving that you should be B'nai Torah. Don't blame your parents for that. That's a very, very necessary tefillah. And every parent is supposed to have that tefillah. But the bottom line, if you see your child is going in a path that you don't think is going to make him happy, it's painful. So the question is, he's in 12th grade already, what's going to be? I'm speaking to a parent very often, the, 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 her child is now 24, still not making it to Minion, and she's like, well, and I, and I, and I understand, it's a painful thing. But the answer is, there is no time limit. There is no age. It doesn't work like that. There is no age appropriate. It just doesn't go like that. Just one idea that I had that I want to share with you. The Gemara says something fascinating about ruchnius, about spirituality. The simple meaning of the Gemara, I don't think, is what I'm going to say, but I think it's also part of the meaning. The Gemara says that in the physical world, if you have a cup that's full, it cannot, it cannot handle anything else. It's full. If it's empty, then it can. That's, that's the laws of nature. In Ruchnius, it does not work like that. In Ruchnius, if it's empty, it will not handle anything. Now, you can learn that in many ways. You can learn that there won't be a drive. If it's full, then it will take things in. That's what the Gemara says. A full cup will take things in, which does not make any sense. And it's a concept that's purely spiritual. There's no psychology that, that could explain this, that you could feel fully satiated and still desire more at the same time. It's a ruchniyastik thing. It's a spiritual thing that makes no logical sense. But I believe what this Gemara is saying is when someone feels empty, they will not want to grow. If someone feels bad about themselves, they will not want to grow. It could be that it was different in another generation. I have no idea. It seems like in other generations, they were harsher and it worked. And you could just say, no! And they could say, whoa! And that changed his life. It could be. And I, we've heard stories like that. Emotions were different. I have my own theories about that. Not for now. I don't know. But right now, what I see is that <clears throat> we feel, and it's natural to feel like this, that if someone's not doing well, and you point out how they're not doing well, so then they'll start doing well in that area. And it's hard to imagine that if he feels good about other areas, for example, if he feels good about himself, then he's going to want to change the things which he's lacking because he feels good. Why would he want to change the things? He feels good. And Rabbi Kielish speaks about this all the time. You see someone, and it's a time that people have on Waterbury. 
you see someone and he's not keeping Shabbos, not working a yarmulke, and he walks in and you give him a big hug. What are you doing? What are you teaching him? That he's going on the right path, not keeping Shabbos, not keeping a yarmulke, not wearing tefillin? What are you teaching him? And I want to tell you something that we could argue from today till tomorrow about theories. And I've argued with people, many, many people I've argued with in theory, in philosophy, and I end off like, hang on a second. I'm there. I see what I see. You can't argue with what I see. You can't argue with what I see. I've been here for nine years, and I've seen hundreds of Talmudim, and I see it clear that someone who feels good about it, my first year of teaching, I remember, a, a, there, was a, there was a boy who, and there's one of, of hundreds, thousands of stories that I've seen. <clears throat> he wasn't into learning yet, he wasn't into davening. One day he came in on fire to learn, on fire. He said, why are you in such a good mood? He said, I had a great basketball game last night. He felt good about himself in an area which doesn't necessarily have anything to do with Ruchnius. He wasn't playing basketball to connect to Ruchni. He wasn't doing any of that. Nothing. Felt good. He felt good about himself. Automatically, like a magnet, he wanted to grow. He wanted to grow because every single person wants to grow. Everyone wants to grow. If you, if you feel good about himself, if you're a clean mullet, if you feel full, you're going to want more Ruchni. You're going to want Ruchnius. You're going to want to grow. And I'm saying now, if you feel good about yourself, even in areas that aren't Ruchnius, you're going to want to grow. You feel emotionally healthy, you're going to want to grow. And I was thinking, I just wanted to give three etzas of how to be able to build someone up. And this is, by the way, not just for our children, this is for ourselves. This is for me, this is for ourselves. Three ideas how we could see someone who is struggling, who's not doing well in certain areas, and how we could, in a real way, build them up, see their milas, not just, not with, not with talking, seeing their milas for real. Number one is the fact, and this is a fact, and there are proofs for this, and the Svarim talk about this, and I don't know why it's not, I, I know why it's not spoken about more, because it's a scary thing to talk about, because if you tell them this idea, that Hashem mm-hmm. loves you no matter what, and that you have a piece of Hashem inside of you that is never, ever, ever damaged. We're afraid if we say that, then they're going to think, so I can do whatever I want. And that's, a, that's an honest fear. I understand that. But it's just not true. It is not, I haven't seen that happen. It's not true. A person and we ourselves have to know that we're a precious piece of Hashem and nothing could break that. There's nothing in the world that could break that. There are two ways. There's a concept in the... There are scary concepts in the Torah. One of those concepts is regret. Recharata. And it's a holy thing. Charata. You're supposed to regret when you did something wrong. And I'm sitting here telling Talmidim who struggle with anxiety all the time. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm waiting for, for one of them to ask me. What do you mean? Charata. And then I was asked. I was asked that a few times. You're supposed to have charata. You're supposed to have regret. And sometimes we feel like it's a mitzvah to have that regret. And there is a mitzvah to have regret. It's part of tshuva. I promise you this. The regret we feel, anyone who's connected to a Yom Kippur, anyone who's connected to a Yom Kippur and was crying about a veras that they've done, 
it doesn't come from the following place. You are a loser because you've did this and then this and done this, and therefore I'm crying about it. That's not proper tshuva. That's anxiety. That has no place in Yiddishkeit. If you learn the Svarim, the way they talk about Yom Kippur, it's I am incredible. I'm royalty just because. Just because. Because Avram. That's why. Avram Avinu was the only one that wasn't just because. He earned it. After Avram, it was just because. And because I am royalty, it's not fitting for me to do these things. It's a much healthier, but it's true. That's what, true harata. True harata. It doesn't come from a place of low self-esteem. That's not, that's not what it means. Anxiety, low self-esteem, perfectionism. That has no place in Yiddishkeit. That's not true. Sometimes a Talmud will, will feel anxious because of what they did. And I'll say, stop. Just stop feeling anxious. It's okay. And I'll laugh. Who am I supposed to stop being anxious? What does that mean? I said, no, you don't understand. You think it's a mitzvah. You think you're doing a, a good thing by being anxious. Because I'm supposed to be anxious. I did something wrong. And, and, and... Shrebis? <coughs> oh. Because <laughs> you think it's a mitzvah to be anxious. And it's not. Anxiety, perfectionism, stress, that has no place in Yiddishkeit. I guarantee you the gedolim who cry about their averas is coming from a deep, healthy, happy place. You're crying for the churban based on migdash. It's not... The, Depressed. I use my depression for the korban, and then it's no. It's from a deep, hap, happy, healthy place. <clears throat> we have to realize that with ourselves, and we have to realize that with with our children. The. It's a completely different chinuch, completely, completely different chinuch. When I sit with a Talmud, I know it's the one thing I know about them. The one thing I know about them before any conversation starts, I know. They are a piece of Hashem, and Hashem loves them, and that they want Ruchnius. I know that for sure. And in that sense, I could already honor them before even knowing them. Before knowing their talents or their milas, I could already honor them because I know that about them for sure. And it's a completely different chinuch with that. Imagine we'd walk around and just with our own children, with everyone, just see them as a piece of Hashem and someone that Hashem loves, someone that Hashem wants in this world and loves in this world. That's the first, that's the first idea. Someone, even though they could be doing everything wrong, it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make a difference in Shemaim. Is there such a thing as punishment? Of course there is. But that's not the discussion. The discussion is, do they have greatness inside of them anyway? And the answer is yes. The second thing is as follows. I was speaking about, about this in Shir the other day. I was asking the guys, how many times a day do you beat the Yet Sahara? How many times do you beat the Yetzirah? I challenged the guys. I said another number, hundreds. And Shlomo said, maybe a lot, hundreds? So I guarantee you it's hundreds. I'll tell you. Not a shtick. I'm, I'm, I'm saying for real. Or 100% real. Not a, it's not like a cute riddle. It's not like you beat it once and it's equal to, no, no, no. We are trained at a young age. I'm not blaming. I'm not giving, I'm not, saying anyone's at fault, and it could be, but I'm not, that's not my point right now. <laughs> I, besides being a Rebbe here, I, I tutor many, many boys. A good, good amount of boys, like a 6th, 7th, 8th grade. And I noticed, I spoke about this with my wife a lot. She's also a therapist, occupational therapist. She deals with a lot of younger kids. And we noticed that there is so much focus 
on their chesronos. There are boys who kriya for them is murder. They can't do it. It's so difficult for them kriya. And I'm I'm I'm, I'm learning with one boy right now, and he he it's just so difficult for him. How do you think he feels when he is in class? He feels like a loser, and it's so hard to watch. And so what do they do? They hire some. They hire a tutor to do more kriya. And he's, again, doing for more time in the day, doing what he's so bad at. And the kid goes like this. He's like, but wait, doesn't the Gemara say before this? And he asked me a brilliant question. I promise you no one in the class has a question like this. I promise you. I told his mother, I said, I, I don't know what the Eitzah is, but you have a choice. You want him to get a Geshmak in learning? We'll sit and have a Geshmak. I spent the rest of the time looking in the back, and he saw me looking in the back to, to see, if he had, see if there's an answer. He saw that, and it was a Geshmak for him. I said, we can give him a Geshmak in learning, or we could continue focusing on, he's not going to make up with the class anyway. And I'm not saying there's no place to, to it, again, with the same rule. I, th- I think it's the same rule, where if you could lightly do, it's like this, like this with medication, it's like this with all these things. I feel that having a shadow and all these things can be traumatic for, if, if it works, if you could lightly do it, give them whatever, if it's medication, if it's whatever it is, and it works and the child is happy, fine, great, if it works, wonderful. And I've met kids like that. They take a pill, they do well, they feel happy, wonderful, that's great. But if you see the pushback, if you see that that's the main focus, that that's not working, and that turns into the main focus, it's going to kill the kid. And what happens is, years later, they are still focused. I noticed with my Talmidim, this is a very, very powerful point I'm about to say. We all have one or two or three challenges, which are the main challenges in our lives. Okay, let's pick getting up in the morning. That, that's, everyone has that, the challenge of getting up in the morning. Let's just pick that. We all have our own things. People are looking at each other. <laughs> we all have that. Who does that? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a classic thing to speak about. So I'll notice there's a guy, let's say that's his main struggle. I will notice that his whole mood, his whole day will be, will be, will be around, will be, will be um, revolved around that struggle. If he's doing well with it, he'll be in a good mood. If he's doing bad with it, he'll be in a bad mood. Now that could be, that struggle could be the main struggle in his life. And he could be dealing with it when he's 30, 40, 50, 60. And that's true. And this is what I'm talking about that, by the way. That the struggle that comes up again and again, that's like an avua telling you that this is your mission. And that could be true. But what happens is, because of the way we're trained, that's our main focus. And that's everything. I'm not saying it shouldn't be our main focus, but it's not everything. And that same person will pass hundreds of tests a day and not notice it. And that's why when I asked my shirt, is there hundreds? I said, how many times do you think about saying something and you don't say it? And they start thinking, it's true. I said, no, but I don't mean like you want to say and you stop. You think in your mind, should I say this? Should I not say this? Not like you're about to say it, but you don't. That could be tens of times a day. But just you're thinking about how should I say it? How should I smile at this person? How should I react towards this person? Trust me, it's hundreds and hundreds of times. You're beating the Sahara hundreds of times a day and you're letting it go by. And you're thinking of yourself as a loser because that main thing you're failing at. And you're forgetting that you're being hundreds and possibly thousands daily, weekly, could be tens of thousands of times. You're beating the Sahara, and we do not have that appreciation for ourselves because whatever, whatever it could be, I think part of it is because we grow up like that. That's what the main focus is in the classroom. What are, where, where are their chisronos? Let's fix it. And the Milo's, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. That's number two. Number two for ourselves and for our children. 
to recognize the things. If you can't find things, you'll find hundreds of things. Look for it, you'll find hundreds of things. But then we're not focusing. Fine. I, I promise. <laughs> you, could, you could take my word for it. He'll, if he feels good about himself, he'll want to grow. He'll have more of a, of, a, of a desire to grow in those other areas as well. And the third thing, and I'll end with this, is that is, is Jakob Berger. <laughs> Jakob Berger sent me something years ago. I was, uh, I was, uh, I was, uh, me and Jakob were old Bachram together. And I had a son, Avi, in 10th grade, 9th grade. And Yaakov said, he said, <coughs> something you said really struck. It sounds like a Rav Cook that I once saw, a piece from Rav Cook. And can I send it to you? I said, sure. He sent it to me. It took me a while. I didn't really have time. And he reminded me. He said, did you look at it? I said, oh, right, that. You know, I didn't really think. I looked at it. And I was like, Rav Cook, where have you been my whole life? Yaakov Berger, where have you been my whole life? I was like, this is just so beautiful. But, it's, but there's something about it that I want to bring out. Rav Cook says that it says that the, the generation before Mashiach is going to be a generation of chutzpah. Chutzpah. And Rav Cook says an amazing thing. He says, and, and I know it's going to sound heebie-jeebie, and if you're not into the, I happen to be in the heebie-jeebie stuff, so I'm not making fun of myself, but if you don't like it, it's, it, there's a point I want to bring out with it. Rav Cook says, that Mashiach means connections, everything connecting. Ultimate laughter, because you see everything connecting, everything making sense. You have all the answers, there are no more questions when Mashiach comes. No more questions, everything's answered. Says Rav Kook, as Mashiach comes closer, those oros, those lights, are filtering into the world. And you know what? We need answers. You know what chutzpah is? I need, I need the full picture. I told you to do this. No, I need to know why. Chutzpah! I need to know why. I'm sorry. I'm not doing it. But this is what we've done for a generation. I need to know why. Who says? Where does it say that? It's the most beautiful thing in the world. And it's looked at like a terrible thing. Not by everyone, just but it's looked at. Sometimes it's a terrible thing. Who says? Kofor, how can you ask that question? Brilliant questions. And it comes because they need, they need the full picture. You see more and more people who are, not to, sorry to use this term, but going off. And it's all because they don't have answers. You have 30, 40, 50 year olds it happens to. Why? They just don't know why they're doing things anymore. What happened until now? They never knew, but now it's starting to hit. It's the power starting to hit, and we need answers. And you have questions, which I've like almost never been asked before. A child could say, hang on a second. The Gemara is written by people. We're people. Who's actually listening to him? It's a baye. How can you say this? I don't care who he is. He ate. I ate. I eat. He goes to the bathroom. So do I. I don't have to listen to him. And you, and, and understandably so, by the way. And yes, once you learn Torah enough, you do have respect. You can't talk about, you can't talk about that about these people. But understand where it's coming from. It's coming from a beautiful place. They need answers. And I realized from this Rav Cook, a very powerful point, that even in 
the the lackings, even in the averus that we do and our children do, we could find kedusha in it. It all comes from a kedusha dika place. Let's from talk about this. Even in the averus we do, you could find kedusha in that. Anger. You could see passion in anger. Anger, you lose your temper. Beautiful passion. And don't think, but then he's not, but then he's gonna think it's all good. He won't. He won't think it's all good. We show our children love. They will they're not, they're, I always say over a few years ago, a bunch of years ago, there was a boy who was in tenth grade and his father walked into his room on Shabbos and saw he was on his phone. And he knew his son wasn't keeping Shabbos, but it, like shook him up. He said, What did you do? Tell you what I said to friends, like, what did you do? And it's a, it's a very, you know, now that I'm a parent, I, I wouldn't blame him for anything, any reaction. I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame him. He said, it was very difficult for me. But I sat down in the bed with him. And I started asking about the game he was playing. And we started talking about it. I praised and I said, you're a god dog. You're a god. So there's no way your child's not going to be a bentor. And now he is. Now he's learning Stark and Israel. So there's no way I was praising him. But my addition to the story, do you think for a second the father sat down and the kid's like, uh-oh. He's like, hey, how's the game going? And the kid's like, wait, so you don't care about Shabbos either? This is awesome. I always thought you cared. Wow. I was so nervous. I thought like you cared. I was always nervous. Oh, great. Come on. Child knows what his parents stand for. You know how? Because he knows what his parents stand for, period. It. You don't need to yell about it. You don't need to lecture. He knows what his parents stand for. You show him love. He'll want to be like his parents. In anger, we can find passion. In chutzpah, in chutzpah, we can find the need for clarity. In taiva, we can find the need for connection. In partying, partying, you'll find the need for stimulation. These are all beautiful, wonderful things for Yiddishkeit. In apathy, in apathy, you could find a deep, deep sensitivity. That's not where apathy comes from. He doesn't want to be hurt. He doesn't want to be hurt, so he shuts down his emotions. You know why? Because he's a deeply, deeply sensitive, sensitive neshama. There's not an avera in the world that you can't find some kadusha in it. With these three things, we can have this ayin tov with ourselves and with our children. And then ultimately, ultimately we could be this clean mullet, this clean mullet, which will be machzik, this clean mullet, which will have a desire, a deep desire for more and more <coughs> and more spirituality. That's it. Shkoch. Before we leave, our minute is we had song, but we'll close all the Hever singing the song together. And then we'll close with that. Is Arya here to start Hashem Mali Take it away.